0: Welcome to the Michigan Murders. I'm Laura.
1: And I'm Stephanie.
0: And this week we have some listener requests from Facebook. So we're going to be talking about those today. And I think I'm first. This recommendation came from William Ryan. So thank you, William. Because if, if you found us enough to uh, listen and go to the podcast, podcast facebook page i appreciate you thank you for the message on monday september 26th 1994 16 year old kathy horn's best friend jen nazara stopped by kathy's after school looking for her but kathy's mother janice Rott, answered the door janice said she hadn't seen her since friday night kathy was supposed to be staying the weekend with jen and would return home after school the following Monday. Instead, Kathy had Jen bring her to Gaylord on Friday after school. They stopped by Mancelona on the way to pick up three friends of Kathy's. Jen wanted to return home around one AM Saturday morning, but Kathy and her other friends wanted to stay longer. Jen said that Kathy and the other friends accepted a ride from someone named David in his van. Jen didn't know David's last name or any of the other kids in the group. Janice brought Jen to the police to file a report and get more information. Unfortunately, without the information of anyone's full name, Traverse City Detective Dan Hill was assigned the task of trying to find who those kids were. A tip line was opened and Detective Hill checked Kathy's bank records, showing she took no money out, which meant she likely was on a runaway. As as I think as we're all aware, whenever a teenager goes missing, the first thought by police is they probably ran away for some reason. I mean...
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what my first thought would be.
0: Yeah. Detective Hill turned the case over to the Michigan State Police because they would have more resources, and Detective Kevin Day took over. Janice told Detective Day that Kathy had just broken up with her boyfriend of six months, 20 year old Eric Keystone saying she didn't like him because of the age difference and because she believed Eric was involved with the occult. In this case, just takes
1: age difference. There's many, two years. It's many not many
0: wacky turns. Well, she was 16, he's 20.
1: Oh, oh, I thought she was 18. Sorry. Mm-mm. Yeah. No, if she's 16,
0: lost. he's a 20 year old.
1: Okay, yeah, that I can understand.
0: Yeah, a little. A little creepy, with that age difference. Detectives called Eric in for questioning, but he was found to be cooperative, and he had an alibi for the weekend. However, detectives questioned him about his occult beliefs, which involved witchcraft. The coven was led by a man named Tim Copet, and police started investigating that angle. However, it was later confirmed that Eric was in Grand Rapids on the weekend she went missing. Next, investigators focused on Tim Copet and tried to find who David was and what friend she was with at the coffee house. Investigators went to Kathy's school and were able to get information from her friends there about what coffee shop she liked to go to, and one recalled seeing the David that worked there. Meanwhile, Jana started organizing searches and trying to get publicity to help with the search. Police eventually connected David from the coffee shop to 30-year-old David Paul Zinke, who seemed concerned about her being missing. He confirmed that he gave Kathy and her friends a ride. He said he met Kathy at the coffee shop other times before. Detective Dave found that Jen wanted to stay longer at the coffee shop because she was with a boy and asked David to give the others a ride back, which differs from the other story about the others wanting to stay longer. Zinky's story to police was that he dropped off Kathy's friends in a parking lot in Mancelona and Kathy was supposed to keep going with him to Traverse City. He said they got down the road a little ways and asked him to stop and she wanted to meet back up with her friends. He said he let her out, returned to Gaylord, and that was the last he saw of her. Detectives noticed cuts on Zinky's hands, which he said was from his side mirror on his van. When they asked to search the van, he obliged, and they noticed the mirror was broken, like he said, and there was no trace of Kathy in the van. Before they left, investigators asked David what happened to Kathy, and he said the witch's cult might have something to do with it, and pointed them back to Tim Copet, who lived in waters 10 miles south. Investigators went to speak with Tim about 10 days after Kathy's disappearance inside his house they found materials they see as satanic (laughs) which i mean kind of smaller michigan area it's it's weird it would be weird to any police officer i'm assuming tim says that he's the head of a wiccan group and denies any kind of satanic activities tim has an alibi and volunteered to take a polygraph and passes Investigators get the full names of Kathy's friends, Tyler Hare, Carrie Britt, and Jim Patters, so detectives head to 19-year-old Tyler's house to speak with him since he had a record. Tyler confirmed he was in the van and said he offered to let Kathy stay at his place so he could drive her home in the morning. Kathy was insistent that she had to return to Traverse City and wanted to meet her friends for a Grateful Dead concert, so she went on with David. Tyler said they watched the van drive away and it never stopped. Carrie and Jim confirmed Tyler's story. However, Jim told investigators about Kathy mentioning meeting a group called the Rainbow Tribe in Traverse City Saturday morning at 7 a.m. And apparently that's like Grateful Dead groupies were calling themselves. Mm. Or that group anyway, the Rainbow (laughs) Tribe. That explains her insistence at leaving when she did. Detectives are able to find members of the Rainbow Tribe group, and they say Kathy didn't show up that Saturday morning. Four months after Kathy went missing, a call came in on the tip line to say they knew what happened to her. The caller confessed to killing her and said their name was Sean Barr, but because the call was anonymous, they found Sean who lived in Grayling, which is about 25 miles south of Gaylord. Sean, 17 years old, was confused because he said it wasn't him who made the call. He claimed it was revenge against him for stealing a snowmobile. It's it's pretty weird, weird revenge (laughs) to say you committed murder. Sean wouldn't say who, but he said he had nothing to do with it. Police were unable to find the real caller. It was another year and a half and the police had no leads. On May 8th, 1996, Two men who were mushroom hunting discovered women's clothing while they were in the woods along Pike School Road. The clothing found included a Red Hot Chili Peppers t-shirt, underwear, jeans, and a yin-yang necklace. Do you remember when those were popular?
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: I I also had one of those. Uh,
1: And a mood ring.
0: Yeah. Uh, Despite the poor condition... It matched the description of the clothing Kathy's mother gave when she went missing. Police searched the area but found nothing more. On May 18th, another mushroom hunter found skeletal remains covered by a blanket underneath a bush some distance away from Pike Road. The remains were identified as Kathy Horns by her dental records, but couldn't find means of death. However, due to the clothing being found that far from the body, her death was ruled a homicide, with the exact cause not established. So this is many years later, in August of 1999. It was still a cold case. They hadn't been able to make any progress. uh, When a story was run in in a Traverse City newspaper about her death. A local man read it and remembered something he saw a few days after Kathy went missing in 1994. David Loshaw and his wife were out for a drive when they saw a van on the side of the road near Berrywine and Pike School Roads. The rear van doors were open, and a pale and grayish-looking woman was propped up inside the van. They also observed a long-haired, scruffy-looking man behind the van digging with a shovel. Loshaw tried to call police on a cellular phone, but could not get a signal. By the time Loshaw returned home, he forgot about the incident. When losha saw the photograph of Horne in the newspaper, he recognized her face as that of the young woman he had seen in the van five years earlier. And that quote's from the, uh, some of the court documents.
1: I mean, I don't, I don't mean to necessarily butt in, but, yeah. like, if you're so disturbed that you're ready to call the police how do you just forget about that by the time you get home
0: yeah that was my thought on it i made a note about like it's not i don't i don't necessarily think he forgot i think that maybe the further away he got from it he you know you'll do that thing where you doubt yourself and you're like should i should i call should i not did i actually see anything or was it nothing right and i think if you you give yourself that distance away from it. Like you're driving away. Maybe it takes you a while to get home. By the time you get there, you might think maybe I'm overreacting. I probably don't need to call the police.
1: Right. They're probably gone by now. You know, kind of a thing.
0: Yeah. Like probably doubting. Maybe you didn't see what you thought you saw. Um, but the van Loshaw saw matched the vehicle of David Zinke and the description matched David as well. At the time, police went to look for him. He was already doing time for receiving stolen property. However, David still claimed he was innocent. Someone David worked with at the coffee shop said David used to throw his trash out illegally. Good guy. Around the area, Kathy's clothes were found. Another employee remembered Kathy and her friends had left with David that night, and he returned about two hours after he left. And he was extremely quiet and had wrapped his fingers because they were bleeding. And that's where he previously told investigators he cut it on his mirror. In September 1994, Zinke was living with, and this is like way back before some extra information, uh, Zinke was living with Teresa and Pat Kohler. Zinke told the Kohlers there was a 16 year old woman, girl. That's a girl. Yeah. It's not a woman. It's a child. 16-year-old is a girl that he wanted to date and have sex with. Trace tried to warn him off because of the girl's age. The day after Kathy Horn disappeared on September twenty-third, 1994, Zinky told a waiter in a Gaylord coffee shop that the girl he took to Traverse City changed their mind halfway there. The waiter later testified that Zinky seemed more quiet than normal, and had a napkin covering the knuckles of his hand. He later told Teresa Kohler that he only drove Kathy halfway to Traverse City because she freaked out on him. Teresa treated the wounds on Zinky's hands, and he cleaned out his van and did his laundry. Teresa thought that was unusual because she'd never seen Zinky do those chores.
1: Yeah. Like, okay.
0: You've never seen him clean out his van or do laundry. And you
1: and you couldn't bring this up sooner.
0: <sighs> uh, some more information from the court documents said an unclaimed notebook was also found in Zinke's abandoned van years after the disappearance that contained the definitions of the terms rape, need, want, and statutory. Police asked Zinke to accompany them to the scene, and he complied. And the police stated. They hoped they would react to him being there. When they arrived, Zinky at first refused to look in the direction of where the clothing was found. And he wouldn't know not to look there unless he put something there. (laughs) Because typically, you're just going to look around. Not like purposefully avoid an area. Right. The police asked him if he knew why the clothes were there. And he said there was nothing to say because they already had all the evidence. Zinke then demanded to be returned, saying that he wanted to contact an attorney, but the officers continued to drive around the scene for a period of time before leaving. Zinke did not make any further statement that was admitted into evidence after he stated he wanted to contact an attorney. During jury selection in this case, a juror informed the court that a few years before, Zinke allegedly stole a gun from a neighbor after becoming intoxicated and being disorderly. The juror stated he thought that Zinke was convicted of a robbery offense. The court excused the juror, and the jury indicated it could remain unbiased. On November 29, 2001, A jury convicted Zinke of second-degree murder after just four hours of deliberation, and he was sentenced to 35 to 52 and a half years imprisonment with credit for time served. He appealed to the State Court of Appeals in 2003. However, the case case was affirmed, and an appeal is affirmed when the appellate court has determined that the lower court's decision was correct and made without error. The case was featured on the Investigation Discovery show Nightmare Next Door, uh, Season 5, Episode 10, titled Bewitching Hour. Um, Or if you go to watch it on Amazon Prime Video, it's Season 9, Episode 10, for some reason. (laughs) David has never said specifically how Kathy died, but her killer has been held accountable. And most of this information came from the investigation discovery show in the, um, the appeal documents from 2003.
1: Oh, goodness.
0: Yeah, so that case kind of went all over the place.
1: Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Like,
0: dating a guy that's too old for you, there's some witchcraft in there, yeah.
1: Hmm. Yeah, definitely Strange. Mine is on Egypt, Covington. On June 22nd, 2017, 27-year-old Egypt Covington was found dead with a gunshot wound to the head and bound with lights by a friend inside her home one Friday night. Covington was a local singer who had won Country Idol at Fraser's Pub in Ann Arbor. In the beginning, Van Buren Township Police believed that her death was not random and that she had been killed by someone she had known. In March of 2018, the Van Buren Police Department stated that they had believed that Kenneth Michalik, I believe, Egypt's ex-boyfriend, was a person of interest in the case, that they wanted to speak to him about the circumstances surrounding her death. Now, I've been trying to sort through pages and pages of things written about Egypt and her case, And let me tell you, it's been difficult to find anything of actual substance. Um, I will say that what I did find out was that the family is now very much divided. The VBPD seems to be hiding something. What exactly? I'm not quite sure of currently. Egypt's mother and brother have been tirelessly trying to get information out of the VBPD. But it's like pulling teeth. And they're met with no help. Almost like the Van Buren Police Department's putting up walls, being disrespectful, unhelpful, just all around. (sighs) Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I guess the thing you can say about Kathy Horn is they forwarded on to the state police.
1: Yeah. And I get more into that, too. A A little bit, I guess. They put in FAOI requests and the search warrant that they ended up receiving from it. That was allegedly issued against Kenneth Michalik is sketchy at best and downright forged at worst. Huh. It's like the Van Buren Police Department was just like copy and pasted a signature, forged something and just threw it at the family to get him to leave them alone. But when they were looking it over, things aren't adding up to what we've been told and what we've seen on a, on a different one. Why aren't the names at what's going on? And then they're being ignored. <laughs> it's it's quite insane. Township supervisor Kevin McNamara declined multiple requests that were asking for him to hand Egypt's case over to the state police. Oh wow. Because he was in charge of her case, he in his opinion. He said who and who could not work on this case and he wasn't doing it. And this ended up being a cold case, and Nothing was being done. Apparently, Egypt's father was a host for the township supervisor's recent birthday party, which is part of the reason that the family is so divided. So while one half of the family continues to look for answers, like the mother, Egypt's mother and brother, the other half, like Egypt's father, is seemingly rubbing elbows with a person who refuses to work the case properly or hand it over to the authorities that will. Wow. Yeah. It's like, what in the hell is going on? Yeah. Um, since this has all started year, uh, years later, three people have now been charged in connection to Egypt's death. Shane Lamar Evans, Timothy Eugene Moore, and Shandon Ray Groom. As I had said before earlier in the investigation, police had believed that Egypt had, been, had known her killer, but court testimony revealed that that was completely untrue. Huh. According to the testimony, Egypt's duplex neighbor kept weed in his home. His home had been burglarized prior to her death, and weed, weed had been stolen. That neighbor in Egypt used to attend the Electric Forest Music festival to, Festival together. Can't talk. And he was at the festival at the time of her murder, which she had chosen to not attend because she had just started a new job. The crime was set up because the men involved believed that nobody would be home at the time. In an interview with the police investigators, Evans stated that he was with his brother and cousin when they wanted some weed. He stated that he did yard work at the duplex and knew it would be empty, and that weed was kept inside the home. According to his testimony, Evans told police that he pointed out which side was to be burglarized, but did not want to take part in the actual crime, and that he was not involved with her death.
0: hmm
1: Right. <laughs> Evans stated that he drove by the duplex and pointed out which one was the correct one, He had said Moore, Groom, and one other person were in a truck behind him. I would like to know who that one other person is. Mm -hmm. He had said, I put my hand out the window and I pointed. That's the right house. The right house. And I kept going. He claimed that he told them which door they needed to enter. But Moore and Groom are accused of breaking into the wrong side of the duplex where Egypt was inside and watching a movie. In an interview, Evans said that Moore had texted him, wrong door. He said that he didn't remember replying to that text and that he found out about Egypt's death when he saw it on the news. He had said, he, Moore, was like, do you want to know what happened? And I said, no, don't never want to know what happened. Right. Okay. The Van Buren Police Department had been investigating from the beginning but Michigan State Police did begin investigating in August of 2020. So I don't know how they got into it, if it's because the family had been, like, hammering. Yeah. I'm not quite sure. I didn't find anywhere where it's uh, said anything about it. They took over in August of 2020, and Evans and Moore were arrested in November of 2020. Oh. It's a miracle how a little time that took. <laughs> three years it's a cold case and nothing can be found whatsoever and then in three months when the state police take over all of a sudden there's people handcuffed yeah it's like
0: it <laughs> speaks to incompetence
1: yeah yeah um and then and that's more than three years after Egypt's murder, and Groom was arrested in December of 2020. So shortly after, yeah. by the end of the year, they were all in, in handcuffs. Cell phone records and GPS locations were used to place Evans, Moore, and Groom at the scene. Prosecutors also said that the men stole Egypt's cell phone, which had pinged to the same location that their phones pinged to before they threw it away. <laughs> Which, if the state police could figure that out, the Van Beer Police Department should have been able to get that. Yeah. Moore is charged with first-degree murder, felony murder, and first-degree home invasion, as well as four counts of felony firearm. Groom is charged with first-degree murder, felony murder, and first-degree home invasion, along with three counts of felony firearm. And Evans is just charged with felony murder and first-degree home invasion. Per a preliminary exam in March of 2021, the attorneys for the defendants focused on Egypt's ex-boyfriend and said that he was violent. The defense for one of the men also raised the possibility that police took self a uh, cell phone into evidence at the murder scene and deleted everything on it. The evidence tech said that he couldn't say what happened to the fel- cell phone once he bagged it for evidence. So it just seems like...
0: So they, they lost evidence?
1: <laughs> for from, from the beginning, the Van Buren Police Department was like losing evidence, not really investigating, treating the family like garbage, hmm. then recruiting the victim's father... To throw their parties so that they could get reelected. Like, it's just, like, I want to know why. All I can think about is, like, that sound of Cardi B being like, what is the reason? That's all, that's just, like, over and over in my head. I want to scream that while reading these things. Like, what is the reason? Why? Yeah. The last thing that I found was that her hearing... Has now been pushed back to October 6th of 2021. So hopefully soon we'll get more information. Yeah. On what's going on with the case. But a lot of things were everywhere. It was um, most of what I could f- find was like how they were feeling. And a lot of it is just like thoughts and blame. And, yeah, you know, so it was hard to find actual like. Facts written somewhere of things that are going on. I did see that the ex-neighbor seems like a real piece of shit. I'm going to be honest. oh So, at least now, he seems like a piece of work. Yeah. So, it's it's pretty... It's all dodgy, and I just feel... I feel so, so much for... Egypt's like mother and brother and his fiance has been like working alongside of him to really push through. She's been emailing, like, I uh, found that she was the one really pushing and emailing VP, um, Van Buren Police Department and the supervisor and judges. And she was just like, look, there's something going on. We need to know what's going on. I'm trying to help them because you guys aren't. And she was just roadblock, roadblock, roadblock. And it breaks my heart. Um, I know that there is a bar or a um brewery that did start doing a beer with her picture on it. And it's called A Girl Named Egypt. But that was pretty much most of all I could find. I tr- I tried. <laughs> yeah. It was a rough case.
0: Yeah.
1: It's just sad when,
0: you know, you you feel like you can't trust that, the police to do what they're supposed to do. And I, I get that, like, maybe resources are limited or maybe you don't have the manpower, but I mean, at least try, try to work with the state police.
1: Something. If you, yeah, if why you not can't, hand it over? You're right. And it just, it doesn't make sense. And I think that's part of it too, is like, okay, these guys are now all arrested and, uh, in jail and going through all this process. It's not like they were police officers unless the fourth unnamed person.
0: Hmm.
1: Is that who they're trying to protect? (laughs) Like, that's what, that's what was going through my mind. Going through all this, like, why have you been acting this way? It doesn't make sense to me. It's just like I could understand you wanting to get reelected and everything, but don't you think like handing it over to maybe somebody who can handle the case properly and getting that solved would look better on your record and get you more likely re-elected? Like they could say, okay, he saw that he couldn't handle the seat," rather than just Acting like it never existed and having an unsolved cold case on your hands and all this extra stuff. There had to have been some sort of evidence. Their guys going in for for weed entered in the wrong home. There had to have been fingerprints. It had to have been something. It's not like these are organized crime professionals. (laughs) Something was (sighs) so frustrating.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine, even if we're frustrated, like the level of frustration from her family. The family,
1: yeah. Absolutely.
0: Do you have a hell yes for this week?
1: I work tonight, but I'm about to have like four days off. <laughs> that was not per my plan, that was per management screwing up on scheduling. Oh. But I'm going to take that little okay. mini vacation. Yeah, for real. do what i need to do with that because i'll use the extra sleep (laughs) 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 Woohoo! i'm exhausted i can start doing stuff for the next podcast writing things up it just gives me time to regroup
0: yeah i've got a a girls weekend coming up my mom likes to schedule something around october every year Um, for me, her and my sister to all go, um, to like this resort spa, get our nails done. And then there's some wineries nearby. So there's, you know, that should be a lot of fun. Get our nails done, drink some wine and, uh, probably get a charcuterie board. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs)
1: ultimate fall (laughs) basic bitches. Is, is that how you pronounce it? Because honestly, I'm great at reading and spelling and all these things, but every time I see that word, I never know how to pronounce it.
0: <laughs> Charcuterie? Yeah. Charcuterie. Okay. Yeah. We're going basic like, bitches. There will probably be at least one pumpkin spice latte head. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to break out uh, my brown boots
1: for fall. <laughs> maybe a scarf. I I will definitely suggest if you go by any Starbucks to get the pumpkin cream cold foam cold brew. That is like the ultimate basic bitch thing right now.
0: I don't really like cold coffee though. No? <laughs> no. It's good. The occasional it's like iced. Yeah, the occasional frappuccino in the summer, but that's that's about it. Usually it's just a, a very small
1: latte or whatever. Yeah, they have them in like kegs and it's on tap. It's weird. And they just they put the like the flavoring in it and then they use just the regular cold brew. And then they make the cold foam. Like they do the cream and then the, the pumpkin flavoring and spice or whatever. Yeah, For the cold foam, foam, is that
0: up. is that something they have to shake up? To be a cold they foam? put it.
1: They put it in the blender thing, oh, okay. and it goes from the the cream to like a foam oh, okay. in a matter of seconds. And just put that on top, and then it mixes. It's yummy. <laughs> totally basic bitch milk
0: now. I'll probably just do my usual basic bitch. Uh, P.S. Pumpkin spice latte. Yeah. Oh yeah. I get like one a year, <laughs> and that's about my limit. I don't like pumpkin that much where I want it often.
1: <laughs> See, I'm just, I'm just a total slut for cold brews. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will admit it. I'm a total hoe for it. And, like, so f- during the fall, it's always the pumpkin. But when, like, winter, Christmas time comes along, They have the Irish cream cold brew. And it is far superior. Really? Than the pumpkin. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, I
0: got to tell you something good to get this time of year. (laughs) If you live near Cheesecake Factory, they have something called a pumpkin pecan cheesecake, which the bottom layer is pecan pie, and the top layer is pumpkin cheesecake. And you put them together... And it tastes like the best two dessert pies at Thanksgiving. Kind of put together in one. Highly recommend.
1: The closest Cheesecake Factory is 50 miles from me. I
0: think We have so
1: many things. Over 100. So many things. Like 10 Walmarts in a close vicinity. And you can't get me one friggin' Cheesecake Factory? I've never been there. I've wanted to go so bad.
0: That I've compared their menu being like the equivalent of war and peace (laughs) it's a novel it's a novel of a menu and it's ridiculous (laughs) like just the cheesecake options like Mm. how how big is your kitchen how many stations do you have to have this variety of food (laughs) that much is not necessary and you walk into it and the ceilings are super high And there's, like, columns and shit for some reason. And I'm like, I don't understand.
1: (laughs) No, and the good thing about fall is that means it's the correct season for me to start making my pumpkin cheesecake.
0: Oh, I do love pumpkin cheesecake.
1: And it's so good. And my mom gets so mad that I only make it one time a year. (laughs) She's so salty about it. She's like, you need to make it more. I'm like, I'm sorry, but pumpkin in summer just doesn't... That doesn't hit hit right for me. No. Like you gotta wait for Thanksgiving.
0: Yeah, that's a Thanksgiving dessert. And that's
1: when that's when that's when you get it. And she's like She gets so salty about like, because she loves it so much. Like, I'm sorry, mother. Uh, I don't make the rules. It's just life.
0: <laughs> didn't you say they also have for Thanksgiving down there, they'll also do like mac and cheese and stuff. Mhm. I need to, Yeah. I need to bring that up north. Because I want some mac and like cheese and my turkey. Ma- baked
1: mac and cheese and yeah. stuff. I mm-hmm.
0: might have to add that to the menu this year. Though my brother-in-law is gu- gluten-free. So, mm. uh, sorry to him. I'm probably not going to buy gluten-free pasta.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> like here, I made you a tiny one out of chickpea pasta. Enjoy this mushy <laughs> mess. No. <laughs> Oh, goodness. I think that's it for us today.
1: (laughs) Thank you for listening. Yes, thank you. Be safe out there and watch out for the crazies. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode. The music titled Teller of the Tales was provided by Kevin McLeod and can be found at incomptech.filmmusic.io.